Hey, I'm Jesse. Let's have a devotion. We're in Matthew chapter 27. We've just seen the death of Jesus in verses 45 through 56. Here's the burial of Jesus in Matthew's gospel, beginning in verse 57. When it was evening, a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph came, who himself had also become a disciple of Jesus. He approached Pilate and asked for Jesus's body. Then Pilate ordered that it be released. So Joseph took the body, wrapped it in fine linen, and placed it in his new tomb, which he had cut into the rock. He left after rolling a great stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were seated there facing the tomb. So let's talk about this. We see Joseph of Arimathea step out and do something really bold. It's not listed in Matthew's gospel that Joseph is a part of the Sanhedrin, but in Mark's gospel, we see that detail added. Here's Mark chapter 15, verse 43. Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the Sanhedrin, who was himself looking forward to the kingdom of God, came and boldly went to Pilate and asked for Jesus's body. There's also, there's, uh, there's further detail in Luke 23. Luke 23, verses 50 and 51 read, There was a good and righteous man named Joseph, a member of the Sanhedrin. So there's both Mark and Luke confirm that Joseph of Arimathea was a part of the Sanhedrin, who had not agreed with their plan and action. He was from Arimathea, a Judean town, and was looking forward to the kingdom of God. So he is looking forward to the kingdom of God. He is a member of the Sanhedrin. That is this council of the wisest of the wise. You've got the Pharisees and the Sadducees. This is the same council that would later try to uh, almost have like throw, be thrown into an uproar and almost see Paul torn into pieces. These guys were like the faculty of the leading divinity schools of the world, all on one council. And they were the ones who were putting the, 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 the crucifixion into action. Uh, Nicodemus was one of the Pharisees who secretly believed in Jesus. It was to Nicodemus that Jesus gave the most famous verse of the whole Bible, John 3, 16. And Jesus did this in cover of night because Nicodemus was self-conscious. He didn't want to get busted. He was afraid of what his peers would think, who all wanted to get Jesus if they knew he believed in Jesus. Can anybody relate to Nicodemus? Can anybody relate then to Joseph of Arimathea? You're surrounded by people who have a hostile view of Jesus and you secretly believe in him. But now, these Pharisees are about to go rogue. Joseph of Arimathea, a member of the Sanhedrin, meaning he's either a Pharisee or a Sadducee, is about to defy all of them. And according to Mark's gospel, he boldly goes to Pilate. Pilate was the representative of the Roman government. And he had been used and abused by this crowd. In a futile gesture, he tries to get the, satiate the crowd by offering them Barabbas, who had led an insurrection. He ceremonially washes his hands, trying to act like he has no guilt in the matter. All of this flows when he asks the question, I believe legitimately so, what is truth? The very question that our society asks today. If you don't know what truth is, the mob is going to use you and spit you out. You'll go along with what they want, and then you'll be held accountable for your sin in the process. You cannot be neutral. There's no such thing as moral neutrality. The Bible teaches that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're not neutral. We're actually totally depraved by our very nature. We were born with a proclivity unto sin. So Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, 
they know Jesus is Lord. And now they defy. They step out of line and they give Jesus a proper burial. Now, what's remarkable about that is that the bodies of crucified victims were normally uh, allowed to rot on the cross. But Pilate gave, uh, Pilate, Pilate respected Jewish scruples and, and he allowed Jesus to be given a proper Jewish burial. This was an act of incredible defiance. And it's all the more remarkable because evidently Joseph of Arimathea was a wealthy man. You can tell that even by this tomb, that it would be etched out of the rock. <clears throat> that means that there was a lot of money involved. This text would seem to suggest that it was Joseph himself who rolled the great stone to the, uh, against the entrance of the tomb. He placed it in his new tomb, which he had cut into the rock. He left after rolling a great stone against the entrance of the tomb. It's a massive tomb. Later on, the Romans would come and put this seal there. The guards would stand by it, knowing that their lives were on the line. If that seal were broken, it carried with it the signet uh, symbol of the very authority of Caesar himself. And a man is a Roman centurion is put to death if it's found out that uh, he had abandoned his post and he allowed somebody to go through. This tomb was sealed by a massive stone and by the full authority of the Roman government. That's important for uh, to, to understand for what comes later on. Uh, that Joseph of Arimathea would be wealthy and believe in Jesus is all the more remarkable. It's part of why the ground that we're trying to cast the gospel seed on here in Seattle is so hard because this is also one of the wealthiest areas in America and our wealth blinds us to the significance of the gospel. Matthew 19, verse 24, again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were utterly astonished and asked, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. God was at work on Joseph of Arimathea's heart. It's a beautiful thing when the wealthy come to Christ because they were the least likely to come to Christ. They didn't, they, they have a hard time recognizing their need. They feel like I've got everything paid for. I'm doing just fine. And for that reason, there's an obstacle in the way. They're less likely to come to faith in Christ because of their wealth. But when they do, it's a miracle. It's impossible with man. That's what Jesus says. But with God, all things are possible. Every wealthy Christian is a miracle, just like every other Christian is a miracle. However, those wealthy people have an obstacle to overcome. It may make you think of wealth in a different way. It could be that God has kept you from earning more wealth for the good of your own heart. Have you ever considered this? Joseph of Arimathea was looking forward to the kingdom of God. He could read his Torah and he could see Jesus and he saw Jesus as the son of man. In his Torah, he read about, he read Daniel 7 and he said, that's the son of man. He was looking forward to that kingdom. He disagreed with his counterparts. Inevitably, you likewise, if you sit on a board of God haters, you're going to have to come out of the closet. You cannot remain faithful to your testimony in Christ and continue surreptitiously believing in him. It's inevitable that at some point you're going to have to come out. So it's futile then to try to cover up your faith in Christ. Take a note from Joseph of Arimathea, who risked and likely lost everything because of what he had just done here. But we're reading about his testimony today. May we read about your testimony as well. Even if you have to put your livelihood on the line. I realize that it's easy for a pastor to say that. Understand, I'm also, uh, I also do other things to try to help pay the bills. I'm grateful for your, uh, for your, your generosity. If you give to JCM, if you give to the Redemption Church. But 
I look at Joseph of Arimathea and I wonder who else is being called in this direction. Your life will count eternally if you are willing to sacrifice it for Christ who sacrificed everything for you. That which you would not sacrifice is actually Lord in your life. May you, like Joseph of Arimathea, like Nicodemus, defy the powers that be around you, defy consensus, risk your livelihood, which by the way, you often actually don't have to. What I've discovered and what I've uh, just with the front row seat that I have to Christians who come out in their workplaces is they weren't alone. And you also live in America, all right? Things may be off the rails to an extent, but it's still America. <laughs> you still do have the First Amendment for now that protects your freedom to be able to exercise your religion. And no, you do not adorn an atheist worldview when you enter your workplace. That would be an inhibition on your free exercise of religion. You have the ability to do this, to defy the crowd and stand up for Jesus. So I encourage you to go rogue in the most beautiful way. Be the Christian maverick and you will find, as I've seen time and time again, with testimonies that I've observed in ministry in Florida and in Tennessee and now in Washington, you're not alone. You're actually not alone. There are more of us than you might think. Only 15% of the population of our area claims to know Christ, but that's still 15%. Look at Joseph of Arimathea's beautiful act of rebellion. Watch also the faithfulness of Mary Magdalene and the other Mary who are seated. That's Mary, the mother of James and Joseph. These Marys, they're sitting there watching the stone be rolled in place and they face the tomb. They watch Jesus' body get put in there and they watch the seal be placed. This is critical because in their amazement, they'll find that the tomb is empty later on. They were watching the whole thing. They were eyewitnesses to the burial of Jesus. These ladies may not have carried much political weight in their day, but they carry eternal weight as they are used of God mightily in the most important event in all of human history. May our testimonies measure up to this in full.